This is Childhood Heroes, and I'm Laura Wyatt-Smith. This podcast explores the big issues affecting modern childhood through conversations with inspiring subject experts. And we ask the question, is childhood today better or worse than a generation ago? Today we're talking to Stuart Watmar, who's the head of the Triborough Music Hub in London. This organisation helps young people from all walks of life to access music education and opportunities that they just otherwise wouldn't be able to. So, for example, playing in an orchestra in the Royal Albert Hall. We discuss how music and music education has changed over the last generation and we reflect on how the internet has facilitated music production from bedrooms so children young people with no formal education in music and very limited resources are producing amazing work which they can put out into the world on the downside we also discuss a quiet crisis that's happening in schools at the moment with music education parents might be interested in Stuart's views on how to cope with matters when your children's music tastes are really not the same as yours and also how to encourage a lifelong love of music with your children and the good news here is that dad dancing is positively welcomed and encouraged. Hi Stuart and welcome to the show. Um, I like to start by asking everybody who was your childhood hero? Hi, Laura. Um, from uh, a musician or a musical perspective, uh, as a kid, I was a huge fan of Brian Adams. I used to love Brian Adams. I used to, and so much so that I had a tape in my cassette um, that I played so much that it got it got wound up and got caught, and I was really, really upset. And I remember my dad went out and bought me a new tape. So yeah, I'd say Brian Adams. Oh, brilliant! And your dad for buying and, you a new and my dad, yeah. <laughs> You were on the show today talking about music education, so I'd love to to firstly know what role has music played in your life personally? Yeah, music's been enormous. It's been an absolute huge part of uh, how I was as a youngster and how it shaped me today. So there's something very, very rewarding about when you see uh, a young person or a group of young people who you start their learning at a certain age, and then if you happen to be around for a number of years, you see them develop and you see them progress and you see them evolve. And when you see them do that, it's really exciting and it's really rewarding because you you know how they started off and when they were just scratching or plucking or blowing and, you know, right at the early, early days. And they, because they're through their own hard work and their support uh, of their families or and or their teachers or schools, you see them grow through different levels of playing. So that as a general thing is really, is really rewarding as an educator. I've had the pleasure and privilege to work on two award-winning long-term programs um so one was uh, both culminating performances in the royal albert hall with thousands of children many schools and you know just a really joyous experiences so one was in um 2015 which was called seven seeds and one was in 2019 called convo and these were original um commissions so composers librettists working with young people over a very long period of time and seeing them all come together and they are they're really exciting opportunities because, again, you see this journey. Um, and after the, the last big one that we did in 2019, one, thing, one of the nicest things that I had as a follow-up email um, and letter was from a, a family saying, I wish you'd, you'd have been on the number 10 bus um, coming back after the Albert Hall because all the families and children were on there and they were just buzzing. Mm-hmm. And they were all going off back to their 
back to their housing estates and their their homes and all that stuff. But the energy that, and the fact that the community was fully engaged. I mean, I, I was, you know, I'm a bit of an emotional wreck anyway. Uh, but that was it, it was lovely to read that. And you see, the impact isn't just about there and then. That you know, that's an experience. So yeah, there's some exciting things that we do. That just sounds wonderful. I love the idea of them all on the bus, just celebrating. Yeah, um, yeah that moment. <laughs> wonderful. Um, so some people might be listening to this thinking, oh, yes, I can relate. This is really familiar. I, you know, I I grew up, I've studied um, classical music. Maybe I play an instrument or sing in a choir or attend a church. I understand this feeling. Other people, maybe music was maybe a part of their backstory, not something maybe they were conscious of or maybe even took for granted. And there'll be other people here for whom music isn't really a large part of their life. Um, could you maybe explain a little bit more for us, more broadly, what is the benefit of music and music education, particularly for children and, and people growing up? I mean, I think there's two things. First of all, music is really important for its own sake. So music as a subject is to be celebrated and really enjoyed. And it, um, I think it allows lots of different things. So it's a great uh, way of expressing. And you think about from the youngest, youngest points of view, young uh, babies and toddlers, that sign, uh, sound and sign, is a way of communicating, and it's how they express themselves. And if you then take that through and develop that, um, music is a great tool for expression and communication at all levels. Um, there are lots of things about the fact that music supports lots of other areas as well, so it's really great for mental health and well-being. And I think um, in today's agenda, where there are things more and more pressured uh, for young people and mental health and well-being is really focused on the agenda. It's really important for that. So for me, I think there's two things. One is it's about let's celebrate music because it's brilliant and we, it's a subject that we learn, but also there are other benefits that it can bring in many other areas. Could you tell us a little bit more about some of those benefits? Yeah, I think um, in a broad sense, it's about communication, emotion, expression, enjoyment, and it's a shame that not everyone has had those the, the experiences when they were younger to have the confidence and the freedom to do that. And if you look at an early years perspective, so birth to five, and particularly with you nursery know, reception, one of some of the best ways of children learning is through free flow activity, where there is, there's less of a formalized structure, but you allow, allow children and the little things to go and do what they're gonna do, and you then respond to them. And there's a fine balance when we go into the more uh, formalized key stage one learning areas where the balance of free flow and structured learning takes place and of course like everything in life a balance is the ideal thing are there any young people in your mind that you can think of now that for whom that's been true and you, you've really seen them sort of blossom as a character due to the role of music yeah absolutely I mean countless examples in my head I was always at one children's center where I was working in Tower Hamlets I was always there every morning on a Thursday morning, whatever it was, and you got to see regular families. And the confidence that you would see those youngsters, those toddlers develop because they start to get to um, have safety within what they're experiencing and what they're doing. And then you see them just just sort of flower and blossom. And that for me is something, it's a very small thing, but it's very, it is very clear to see, particularly in young, young children, how their confidence grows. Thinking now about communities and, and sort of society more broadly, what role do you think music has to play in that? And, and what differences maybe do you see between different communities and the impact of music on children? So with communities, again, I think music is, is hugely important. It, can, it has the power to unite. I know that sounds um, twee, but it, it does. Um, a lot of it is to do with shaking off any kind of 
concern over how one may, one may be perceived and that whole, there's a whole nervousness and we have a, could have some anxieties around doing it. But actually, if you think about it, it can unite families and communities. I've just talked about those sort of stay in place, as for toddlers, street parties, community choirs and amateur music making groups, rusty players, orchestras. Then think about sporting events, the chanting from the terraces, the Olympics, the opening ceremony of the Olympics, and that was celebrating the country and the community. So I, I think it's really, really important. And then going on from that, as community, we go to live music events, we go to gigs, and we get that really amazing buzz, and we're together, and it's we're enjoying it, we're relaxing. It's you know, it's soul enhancing. Um, there's a good feeling. I think that's absolutely true, and I think you know, over 2020 and recent events, people have perhaps appreciated and recognised that perhaps more than than ever before. You know, I think it's true the adage that you don't appreciate what you've got until it's gone. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think we all do recognise that that shared experience of music and. I mean, on a personal note, Stuart, you you were in the opening ceremony of Olympics uh, in 2012, weren't you? Um, I think drumming. Yeah. What was that experience like? Uh, it was amazing because I I went I got involved as a complete member of the public. So even though I've got my background and all the things that I know and do, I and I, I went there as a Joe public, um, and it was a really great experience. I I, I met some amazing people who. Uh, you know now friends who I would never have met before but going through the process and it was it was long all the, the many hours and days and weekends in the um, pouring rain out in Dagenham <laughs> in a, on a car park uh, doing the rehearsals um, but it was an amazing experience one of the best things I've ever done um, in my life and the opening ceremony was great um, just that absolute buzz and a feeling of doing that live um, going around the world and then also took part in the closing ceremony as well um, but that was a that for me was a, a really amazing experience on so many levels, and I've still got my all the um, outfits that I that I had, and the, I played one of the bass bass bins, which was basically a bin. So that, that was our it's our washing bin, you know. So it's you know, a little <laughs> bit of da- daily life from twenty twelve Olympics. <laughs> That's a lovely insight into what music means to you personally, though. <laughs> um, fabulous, and. Um, I think it's true to say I'm I'm not from a musical family, not especially. You know, we we might have had a bit of you know Chris Rea or you know Phil Collins on on the cassette player. Probably it would have been back then, but other than that, you know, we 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 weren't raised with musical instruments in our hands. So my main experience of education, music education, was in my school, my primary school, and I had a, a charming and lovely music teacher who sort of opened our eyes to communal singing and, and other things. So I'm interested, um, Stuart, in in today, moving forwards, you know, generation, what kind of music education are children getting in schools? You know, what are they entitled to within the curriculum and, and what does it look like on the ground? Uh, good question. Can I just say one thing when you talked about um, Chris Rear and that kind of stuff? So I remember, yeah, very clearly, my childhood was with my mum and dad playing tapes, cassettes of ABBA and Phil Collins. Brilliant. <laughs> I, I, could, I could sing all the lyrics to any ABBA and Phil Collins song. Love it. Yeah, anyway. So coming back to your question, um, it's a compulsory national curriculum subject to Key Stage 1, Key Stage 2 and Key Stage 3. Um, there is a, a reality that there is a bit of a, po- there is a postcode lottery about how each school will deliver against it. And um, I have huge empathy for any school leader. Um, really, their, their job is, is immense and they have pressure from every single ang- angle. The national curriculum um, is very brief. So the key stage one, there are only four bullet points um, about what people should be taught to do. So 
use the voices expressively and creatively, then play tuned, untuned instruments musically, etc. Key stage two, um, there are seven bullet points. And key stage three, I think there are seven or eight bullet points. So it's uh, it's a very broad um, expectation that they've got. Now that means that there's a lot of interpretation about the actual content of what what each school and which uh, each teacher will, will deliver. Um, and that's why I say it's a bit of a postcode lottery because it's down to the person who's delivering it, the schemes of work or the content which they're curating and developing, um, the resources that they may have within that school, physical um, space issues, but also do they have instruments? Um, uh, is music taught as um, with a specialist teacher or um, uh, and it's then used as a PPA substitute or is it taught by a generalist teacher i'm talking about primary school here um sure. so someone's teaching everything um it's a real real mixed bag i'm particularly interested in the comparison between now and a generation ago you know at a macro level have we moved forwards are things better than they were or are there greater challenges music is everywhere live streaming films tvs podcasts computer games um it's everywhere uh but also that could also mean that it's more unnoticeable in some ways it's more of a taken for granted um you've also got the what is very different uh from a generation ago is, is that everyone can be a, can be a producer everyone can publish their own music there's d- democratization in music really because everyone can do something from their own bedroom or their own home um so there's some really good things um and I think it was Moby who was the first main major person who really, you know, he that whole his first mm. first album he produced from his bedroom and he came out of nowhere and took the world by storm. Um, and that was the kind of a real, I think, a real first mark about the fact that you can do anything. Um, in terms of going back to your question about challenges, I've mentioned the thing about postcode lottery. There is a lot of pressure on schools. Um, there's also the fact that the national funding in England um, for music education only starts age five. So, so our, the music hub's role is age five to 18, whereas I'm a firm believer that actually music starts from zero, if not prenatal, um, but there isn't the actual funding associated with that. Um, there's also, going back again to the generation before, when when I was growing up, pretty much everything was free, it was provided by the local authority or it was heavily, heavily reduced. Um, and then the I think one of the, the most significant issues at the moment and has been for a number of years, but it's ramping up and up is within key stage three and key stage four and then key stage five, because um, the EBAC system, which in my opinion is a failed system. And for those listening, the EBAC is the English baccalaureate, which hasn't been hugely taken up in key stage four and five. We're referring to sort of the, the older teenagers in school and college, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's exactly that, Laura. And the way that it works is, is that, the, when you choose your GCSE options, it's now sorted out. That you have to choose basically four. I think that the nice term is four buckets, and music and the arts is the fourth bucket. And you can really only do one, and that's only if you have a certain. Different schools will have different pro, different processes of, of how you choose those um, those subjects that you would then pursue at Key Stage Four, um, and that's really narrowing the, the the number of pupils that actually are taking music. So we are seeing music absolutely drop off a cliff at key stage four of a GCSE and it's almost dying a death at A-level because the, right. because the pipeline is not coming through. 
And that, just just to be clear on that, uh, I think what you're saying then is that young people are almost um, having to decide between their favourite sort of arts and more creative subjects because they're being pitched against each other because they're being put in the same bucket. So is that right? You have to do some essential English, maths, science, and then beyond that, your choice is becoming quite limited uh, and you're only going to take music if you love it more than any other subject which is yeah. limiting the pool of exactly, exactly that and or um people students may be advised by their teachers or other people that they shouldn't do music because they should do another subject because it'll be seemed seen as a more beneficial facilitating subject so what you right. end up happening is as i say you've got less and less students taking gcc music or those that have um the financial backing of resource or the ability to will not take it formally at school, but they might pursue it as an additional thing outside of school. Understood. Okay. And I guess that in itself is problematic because I think you alluded to this earlier, the the sort of widening of the gap, the idea that some things which might have been more heavily subsidised in the past are less subsidised now. And therefore, if you're not taking it within formal education, you're going to be doing that outside of um formal education meaning that you're going to have to kind of fund that or support that hobby yourself um but interesting as you say i guess whilst that might be problematic for some of perhaps the more expensive um and niche areas of music education perhaps also because of the democratization because of that that home producer sort of movement started by moby as you mentioned music is in some forms more available in less others so do you do you see that stuart is that you know, are we seeing sort of um, segregation almost between types of music? You know, the the home DJs and the home producers, and then the classical musicians. Uh, is is that a thing? Yeah, I think that there is that there is definitely some some truth in that. Um, and I think unfortunately, there is, we are going to more towards a there is a potential for as a country to move more towards the fact that music will be one of the subjects that is pursued by by people with financial resource behind them in terms of learning an actual instrument. Um, but say the other opportunities are that you can do other things. But the point is that there isn't an equitable, currently an truly equitable system that operates. Okay, so on that subject, if you could be prime minister for a day, what would you do about it? I would make sure that music education is formalised from birth. So there's something called the National Plan for Music Education, um, which uh, was launched in 2012. Um, there's the, that is currently being refreshed. Um, and there's a lot of talk about what that may or may not include. And I think hopefully there will be some good things that will help. But that would I would say that needs to go from birth to 25 and to 25, because that then includes the such responsibility for students with any additional or special educational needs. Um, so that'd be one thing. Um, I would make sure that music is is taught in every school and it's taught um, properly with a really good curriculum. Um, I'd make sure there was financial access. For, for all pupils. And I would definitely address the whole thing to do with the, the way that GCSEs are chosen and to allow more freedom. I think going forwards, what we need to do is, is change the representation within our professional musicians. And I'm talking, if you look at the classical world, the classical world is very aware of this. It's, it's predominantly um, one uh, type of performer. Um, so we need to make sure that we're, we are as a, a music education with the professional industry is looking at representation and of course you only get that when you and you have really solid progression routes and opportunities that are equitable for all people so i would really try and look at something in that area as well 
I mean, that's really interesting and, and certainly something that I've picked up upon. One thing we've we've watched with our children are some of the CBeebies productions that they've put on. Um, and, you know, I think some of them go some way to addressing that diversity issue. And let, let's be clear, you know, it's 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 typically in the past been sort of a white middle class sort of profession, really. Um, and it's interesting to see that there has been some movement towards correcting that, um, which has been in is sort of on on TV and sort of in popular culture, but it sounds like that's still actually quite an ingrained issue, which is going to take some time to resolve. You think that's a fair comment? Yeah, no, it, it will take some time because anything which is a grassroots change will, will take time to to develop. And it's also not just about um, that issue of representation of the people involved, but it's also about the engagement of audiences and also taking. Uh, a different approach to how performances are delivered. So um, just for example, there's nothing, there's nothing that says you have to perform a concert um, with everyone sat facing them, uh, face, facing the performers, and the performers don't have to wear a, a dinner jacket or with a white tie. Um, you know, why could, and I know a lot of orchestras and um, performing houses are doing it where you have more relaxed performances, where there's, you lose all the formality you can wear what you want. You can sit how you want. You can walk around. Um, there isn't that you're removing all these barriers that sometimes are there because you have to go and behave in a certain way. That is an issue, isn't it? It is intimidating. Some of these places are really intimidating. And, um, you know, if you don't know the protocols, I certainly know, as I say, somebody who wasn't really brought up with classical music. First time going to see sort of classical music productions, uh, uh, performance with my husband as an adult. And him sort of saying, whisper, whisper, like, you're too loud. And me thinking, what? And and not knowing when to clap because, <laughs> you know, I don't know what you call it, but a movement, is it, within a, yeah, within yeah. a bigger start, you know, with a composition. I, I don't know all the technical expressions. I'm thinking, right, well, I'll clap now. And then, no, that's not the moment to clap, uh, you know. And so there are a lot of unspoken sort of rules around formal um, or certain types of music, which, yeah, I think not everybody knows and maybe doesn't feel welcome to yeah. sort of engage with that world. And so, it, yeah, it certainly feels like um, greater informality and greater openness um, and collaboration with people. And, and another thing that I've noticed at my child's school is a lot of sort of the old traditions um, are, at least in, in our school, as I say, being sort of challenged and broken down. So we don't have, for example, a, a sort of a, a classic nativity play at Christmas. We do sort of a, an international concert of different types of music, which kind of encapsulates the many different communities that, that are, you know, together make up our daughter's school. Um, and so I feel that that's that sort of slightly more inclusive approach is, you know, is the future ultimately. I I don't know how you feel about that. I agree. I think there there is an element of snobbery within certain types of music, and that is uh, can be historically classical music. And you gave a really perfect example about sitting in the audience watching a um, a symphony which has four movements, and then it gets to a bit, and you think this is great, I'm going to clap, and then you get it's, it's very dis disapproved of. Actually, that's the whole, <laughs> whole point. If you've enjoyed something, express it. Um, yeah, but and that's what I mean about the organisations need to be there needs to be an acceptance that actually people have come, they've paid money, they're watching an event and they're really enjoying it. Now they don't, you can't expect every single person that comes to know that piece of music to know when it is or isn't. So yeah, it's a really great example. Um, I think also what's been a superb development is things like the Heritage Orchestra, who and they take 
amazing, in effect, a symphony orchestra, professional orchestra musicians, chucking a DJ, chucking a rhythm section with a drum kit, with bass, guitar, almost like a, it's like a hybrid of a big band and a, and a DJ and an orchestra. And they're doing this amazing stuff, all the, the rave stuff that was in the, the 90s. <laughs> and they're now doing it as proper orchestral music, but in a con- completely contemporary way. And I think that's really exciting. And I think if we can get our young people understanding that you can, you might play a tuba or a trombone or a violin or bassoon, but you can still make it really funky and you can, you can do some great stuff with it. So that's where I think we should be going um, with, I think we should be stopping to be putting labels and saying uh, you have to have a set group. And I think having a more flexible approach about the type of setup of of an ensemble and it can all be learnt by ear, like a folk tradition. It could be learnt with some notation and or a combination. So that we shouldn't have, I think, going forwards, my vision for what we're trying to do in Triborough, and I think more broadly in music education is, is that we're we need to be far more inclusive and understanding that young people will want to engage in a range of different ways. It's not changing things wholesale, saying that we're never going to play a symphony again. Um, but let's have a balance. How can parents and others, uh, family members, support their children to sort of embrace music and just make music a bigger part of their life? Have you got any advice for us? Uh, Yeah, I I would just say immerse your family in music uh, and all styles, really important. Celebrate it. If it's something you don't know, find out about it. Dance, react, you know, don't don't be inhibited. That's the thing I've mentioned before. But I didn't find the word. I've now got the word. Inhibitions. (laughs) It's about people need to lose their inhibitions um around it i think also there's something which which uh, goes back to the kind of connected with the schools but it's also a families is that there are there are some types of music that have a really bad um name so for example if you think about things like um drill that's got has a really really bad rep because of the connections it has with being racist uh homophobic misogynistic all kinds of things that are really significantly um important issues and they're absolutely that is what that's about. But what tends to happen in a school perspective, school testing is that, right, we're not doing that. We're not engaging with it. Well, actually, is there something healthy about let's unpick why it's uh, racist, misogynistic, homophobic and challenging. And actually, let's look at the musical, the way it's formed and where it's come from. Is there, is there some learning that we can do? And the whole thing about let's not taboo things. Let's try and learn from them. So I think going back to the sort of the family thing, is that something rather than saying, no, you can't listen to this or you shouldn't listen to this, let's have a discussion about, do you, do you actually understand what these lyrics are saying? Do you understand that why someone might be offended by it? Do you know, do you understand that, that by you listening to it or supporting it, someone might um, be upset? But tell me about the musical side of it. How, what's the structure of it? What's the form of it? Um, do, you, do you understand that there's a, a way that the, the beat is arranged? Where does the, the bass come in? So there's, there's mm-hmm. a, that's what I, I'm a big one about. Let's take something, face it head on and challenge it, but learn. Everything is learning opportunity. Stuart, I think we're, we're nearly at the end now. And I'd like to ask you, who is your childhood hero now? So this could be somebody that you admire today, ideally who's alive and well, <laughs> um, and somebody who's taking action to improve childhood today. Um really difficult question laura um if you're asking to pick just one person i think someone who's doing some really great things that are really positive um is yolanda brown she does really great stuff and um she's got a role as the chair of youth music amazing national charity um she's she has a cbb's program uh 
which again is really it's really positive. It's all the things I've been talking about. Um, she's a real voice um, of positive change. She's a person who understands many things, and she's someone who I think is really um, who's spearheading some really positive things in the world of music education. Stuart, the moment of truth. Basing your answer purely on music and music education alone, would you say that childhood is better or worse than a generation ago? Oh, that's a really tough question. I'm really split because I think that there is a a really good democratised access to music education where we are right now, like I was mentioning before, in terms of how you can really engage with music making in a very easy way through music technology in the bedroom, all kinds of stuff going on that you can do yourself. I do also think that there's a serious issue with um, underfunding and changes in the the way that funding is being uh, really passed through the school system and also how it can become, and it's becoming more and more of an elitist uh, area to really make progress into the conservatoire kind of progression path. So I think on balance, it's a difficult one to really answer. Um, I think there are, there are mixed mixed uh, blessings for both when we were younger and where we are today. Stuart, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, wish you all the best for your work this year. Thank and you. um, we'll definitely put a link in the show notes to the Tribara Music Hub so people who are interested can find out more about your work. Thank you, Laura. It's been really lovely talking to you. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Laura Wyatt-Smith and you've been listening to Childhood Heroes. When I'm not recording podcasts, I'm working as a consultant and a coach to the non-profit sector. If you'd like to find out more about what I do, please visit laurawyattsmith.com. <laughs>